1 Peter 1.16, and this is lesson five from holiness from his perspective. Uh, 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. The more I read that verse, the more I think about how it should motivate me without any other verses, just that one verse alone, be ye holy for I am holy, that there should be something that would trigger within me that would say, I want to meet his expectations of me. Whatever his expectations of me are, it's not too much for him to ask. And so I want to be, uh, I, I want to meet those expectations. Tonight we'll walk into waters that some of you have been waiting to see which way I would swim in, I guess. And uh, the things that we will begin to discuss tonight and over at least, the ne at least next Wednesday night they're very controversial, and, I, and I, I'll admit that. And regardless of the position I take on the various issues, some of you may walk away still with a different opinion, and that is okay. Let me give you permission for that right now, okay? Uh, only thing I ask of you, make sure your opinion is backed up scripturally. Not because of something somebody else told you, Okay? And you would rather believe them than you had to believe me because you would rather believe that than you had to believe what I had to say. You know, I know that was a little bit of a confusing statement there. But I want you to make sure that your, your beliefs are founded in this book right here. Okay? Before we dive in, let me, let me offer a warning that I think is important as we look at these issues. We have a scripture. It's in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And it's in the last four verses that are there. And beginning in verse 18, it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. That's a very terrifying verse. And it causes us to make sure, and I say us from the perspective of ministry, that I stay with this book. And not my opinions, but with the book. It is also should make you tremble that as you discuss your opinions on some of these issues that I'm going to talk about tonight, that you do it with a foundation based upon this book and not upon what you think. Okay? Make sure. Because this verse, these two verses right here, we're in, we're in, we're in serious trouble if we add to it or we take away from it. He knows what he requires of us. And it's like I said, I, w I don't think anything he asks of me is too much for me to meet his expectations of me. Regardless of how you have been taught, you cannot make something a heaven or hell issue unless scripture has set that precedent. Please remember that. If you do, you're guilty of adding to. In the same manner, if the word of God makes a clear distinction and you choose to ignore the fact or to ignore what the Word of God is saying, then you are guilty 
of taking away from the word of God. And who besides yourself or me will be lost because of our own hard-headedness? We have to be careful. Our opinions are not important. The word of God is. I cannot express enough when we talk about holiness that we stay with scripture. My opinion and your opinion does not really matter. Whatever elder may have taught you certain things, if they taught you their opinion, then that is between them and God. You are first and foremost responsible. Listen to me. You are first and foremost responsible to search out scripture and listen to your own convictions. got to have them and understand and I'm not going through my story again because we've already done that in the holiness in this holiness issue there are some things that God may require of you that you will never find in this book but you will not be able to do them because it is a conviction to you okay don't ignore the convictions because God has placed that conviction in your heart for a purpose and for a reason, don't spend hours trying to find it. And then if you can't find it, well, then I don't know what I'm feeling, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. No. The Holy Ghost is, is prompting you and telling you, you can't do that. It's not that that, is, that particular thing is wrong, but is, what is it leading you toward? What does it lead you to? Okay? Okay. The Apostle Paul reflected this attitude when he wrote in Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as we have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you've got to be careful with this, with this thing. Look, I have one chance to stand before the judgment bar of God. You have one chance to stand before the judgment bar of God. You will hear one of two things. After you have lived your life, whether you only lived it for a few hours or whether you lived it for a century or more, you will hear one of two things. Well done, my good and faithful. Or depart from me, I never knew you. And when those to one of those two has been spoken over you. There is no lawyer in the United States or anywhere in the world that can go and, and argue for you on your behalf to get God to reconsider. Because what he is reading and what he comes for, let me back up and say this. Your name is written, is either written in the Lamb's book of life or it's not written in the Lamb's book of life. The deeds that we have done on this earth, many times in this scripture, we will be given an opportunity to explain every idle thought and every idle word. We'll be given, or we will not maybe so much given an explanation, but we will give an account. That's in this book. So it's important when I speak that verse, be ye holy for I am holy. Oh yeah, now, now don't... Don't say, oh, my brother Bruce, you're just making it so hard to live for God. No, I'm not. It's, it's, it's not hard to do the right thing. That's all you've got to worry about. Do the right thing. 
I don't have to worry. Look, you don't have to. No, let's move forward. I don't have time to chase rabbits tonight. So with all that said, let's dive in and let's just title tonight Hot Buttons. Okay? That's what I'm talking Hot buttons, I wanted to see that. It's not on this one back here. I wanted to see what kind of screen she come up with. I was born in 1956 and grew up in the 60s. I have been exposed to many extreme theologies, and I think many of you have too. Those extreme theologies, I will not blame God for those, okay? Because I can't find it in the Word of God where those things were wrong. One of them was, don't drink anything red. I remember mom and dad talking about that, that they were taught, don't drink anything red. And some of you that are sitting in here older than me, you may have been subject to some of that. Ladies are not to shave their legs. I'm going to tell you all what, right now, if I'm laying in bed and I reach over and I rub a leg that's hairier than mine, we got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no sir (laughs) can't find that in the book I'm sorry can't find it in the book but it was preached now some of you know this some of you that's my age and older you know this now you understand some some of this comes from my experience in the fashion industry that's where I cut my teeth and the working force was in the fashion industry. From the 19th and 20th century, it was not acceptable for a woman to go bare-legged in public. No matter the length of her dress, no matter the length of her dress, she must wear hose, but it was not the type of hose you ladies wear today. They were more like little socks, more of a sock type material. And sometimes it was even thin enough that you could even see the color of the skin through it, but it was still, it wasn't opaque, okay? And, uh, and a woman couldn't do that. When opaque hosiery became popular, and let me back up to, to this other one though, a woman had to wear hose. She was, it was preached against, she could not go barelegged, regardless of the length of her dress. When opaque hose became popular, and this was probably in the, the latter 30s, when, the, when opaque hose became popular because of technology, the only hose women could buy was hose that had a seam up the back. That was preached against. Hemlines had made it to, to the calves of the legs at that point. And so the, the calves of the legs were shown. It was preached against that with that seam up the back of the hose, um, she was trying to get attention to, to her legs. Um, and so uh, I don't know what was expected. I don't know if they expected them to go back to the, to the little thick socks or maybe bare-legged. I don't know, but I'm just telling you. That's the history. When seamless hose became available because of improved technology, Women couldn't wear them because if she did, she was trying to get men's attention. So then it became okay to wear the ugly hose with the seam up the back. <laughs> I'm talking about extreme theologies. Now, this, y'all know this to be true. Some of you, you know this to be true. 
I'm not making it up. In the 80s when seamed holes made a fashion comeback, and I was in the industry at that time, there was a fresh amount of preaching that made seamed holes, again, something to preach against because a woman was trying to get attention to her legs. Christmas trees, many preached against Christmas trees. They preached against coffee. There'd be a bunch of you go to hell right there. I can just tell you right now. Just... They preached against coffee. Just recently, I don't even know if I should say this one. Of course, now I got your interest peaked and you, you want to know. Just recently, I heard of a minister. I didn't hear him. I heard of a minister that took an entire service and he preached against toe cleavage. Ah, I'm glad to know y'all did not know what that was. From the fashion industry, a woman's shoes, and if they're cut down to where the toe cleavage can be, that's called toe cleavage. And he preached against toe cleavage. Can't find it in the book. It's not in the book. I looked. It's not in the book. I could go on with several more. Um, I could. And, uh, yeah, it's, some of it's crazy. Some of it is. There's always been extreme theologies. And it's not just in the 20th century and the 21st century or 18th century, 19th century that, that extreme theology. I mean, that, it goes all the way back to, to Moses' time. There's been extreme theologies that have come forth where people did not rightly divide the word of truth, okay? Folks, that's why it's important that we know what the word says. I'll use a scripture I've already used almost in every, every one of these Bible studies. Psalms 119, 11, the word I, I have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's very important. That's a very important. What, what does the word say? There have always been extreme theologies and there always will be. If we know the word, then we will know if they are extreme or not. Extreme theologies often fall under the category of someone's personal convictions or their opinions. Understand what I just said. Extreme theologies often fall under the category of someone's personal convictions or their opinions. For instance... I can't preach against wedding bands or rings, period. But I can't wear them. That's a personal conviction. But I cannot tell you, you can't. Okay, and I'm not going into that explanation. I'm just saying I can't preach that as a rule for this church. But before we throw all of the extreme theologies, and while we had a good time and we laughed about some of it, but before we throw all of the extreme theologies out the window, let's look at one in particular that many thought was extreme, but now not so extreme. I grew up whenever they said we couldn't have TVs. Many of you did too. And I mean, Mayberry, uh, how bad could that be? I had good life lessons in it doing the right things and you know Andy Griffith 
I mean, Barney Fife and, you know, and, uh, all of those. But, but, you know, I can even go back to that period of time and I can see where, we, where TV was even conditioning then. And look where it's led us to now. And, of course, every one of us have a TV in our pocket or in your purse. Okay? So I don't want to throw all of the extreme theologies out the window. There were some of those theologies that those dear precious men of God preached and women preached that they meant well and they knew from what they felt in their spirit that there was something dangerous about that particular thing. So, if we knew then what we know now, we would probably still be preaching against TV. But now you can't escape it, it's everywhere. But here's the truth of the matter. You cannot legislate people's lives. This becomes known as legalism. And this church does not participate in legalism. You can't write enough rules to make everyone equal in goodness. And in my opinion, it's wrong to even try. Because if I've got to tell you how to live every, and do everything in your life, then what about your relationship with God? The Holy Ghost will teach. Okay, since we have titled tonight Hot Buttons, what are some of today's hot buttons? And this is not the entire list, but it's a list we're going to work from. I will name a few. Men's beards, men's hair, women's hair, women's apparel, namely pants, makeup, jewelry, social drinking or wine. What does the word say about these things? Don't, now don't say, well, oh boy, he's fixing to start preaching. You just stay with me. And I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to cross some of your theology. But I want you to, before you, before you judge me, you listen to me. And keep an open mind and wait and hear the final say-so on all of these issues. Now tonight I'm not covering them all. I'm only going to cover three of them tonight. But these seven things I have listed are today's hot buttons. And of course, like I said, there are some others. I list these seven because as I look at them and their effect or acceptance in our present society, I question each of them as to whether Scripture says a definite thou shalt not, or is there evidence in Scripture to point toward thou shalt not, or is it simply about modesty or moderation? And I will take these one by one and we will teach what Scripture says about each. Not only will we teach what Scripture says, but we will also use a basic common sense approach as well. First of all, men's beards. Scripture does not anywhere forbid men to have beards. <laughs> Cody, was that you? 
sounded like it came. I, I, I thought for a second it was Ben. It sounded like it came further from back, back there. But uh, it's not in the book. It's not in the book. I love Brother Bernard. I don't know if y'all heard Brother Bernard preach at camp meeting this year or the daily Bible teacher this past year. But I loved his approach. He, he had a group of people come to him and ask him about beards. And he told him, he said, well, guys, he said, you got to understand, one of the first couples we won to the Lord was a businessman in Austin. And he said, this man had a beard. He always had worn a beard. I had never seen him without a beard. He said, but he and his wife both received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They immediately became Bible study teachers doing a great job. And he said, I had some of our people come and say, how are you letting him, he's got a beard. And he said, I was raised hearing that men were not supposed to wear beards. And he said, I wrestled with that. And he said, finally, I come to this, this opinion. On beards, on women, never. However, some of the dear blessed saints of God had gotten around to this gentleman and his wife and expressed their opinions. Well, thank God this gentleman and his wife came to Brother Bernard and sat down and said, okay, is this an issue? She looked at Brother Bernard. She says, I have, I'm his wife. I've never seen him without a beard. I don't even know if I'd like the way he looks if he didn't have a beard. And then Brother Bernard said, no, I have no scripture. And so they were very grateful. There are a lot of opinions in this matter. And that's what they are. And they are, there are a lot of personal preference that gets involved here. And, and, and that's okay. You know, I can't wear a beard. Well, first off, I can't grow it right in here. I can grow you a Fu Manchu. I can go grow you a good one. But I don't have a neck. And when it starts getting down in here and it's rubbing on my shirt collar, and I can hear it rubbing on the shirt collar, and I feel it and it goes to itching, no. Not only that, Donna won't let me kiss her when I've got, oh, that sticks. Oh, don't do that. I'd rather... I'd rather smooch than I had to have a beard. So. <laughs> there are a lot of opinions on that. Also, I must add, there are a lot of you women who want your husband to have a beard. A, a beard on a man is a sign of masculinity. Let me, let me say this. At the turn of the 19th and 20th century, in other words, the 1800s moving into the 1900s, if a man did not have a beard, he was considered effeminate. That's history. Then when we started moving into the industrial age and men had to wear a mask and all that and they couldn't, and, and you guys that are in military, Jason, guys in the military know you can't seal a mask around the face if there's a beard and, and men started having to shave and then it moved on to work. It was more popular for a man not to wear a beard. 
and it was really the 70s, the late 60s and 70s, the hippie movement with the long hair and the beards and all that began to... And I understand the position that some people took on beards. But to make it a heaven or hell issue, I cannot do that. And that's why you don't hear me preaching against beards. And I want to say this about Mason. And because I feel like you give honor where honor is due. Mason, I have no problem with Mason wearing a beard as our youth pastor. I have no problem with that. But Mason is also our Section 7 youth director. We have 28, 29 churches in our section. The other night when we had our, our um, minister's banquet, I talked to him prior to that. I said, I may not require you to shave here. I said, but you're going to have men that will be here for the banquet that see you as their elected youth director for the section. And they realize you direct their youth. You need to think about that. Well, a couple of days before the, the banquet, he says, I will be clean shaven. And... Um, of course, he was clean-shaven this weekend whenever he preached for you, and he did an awesome job this weekend. And uh, <clears throat> I appreciate his attitude. But that's also a situation where Kimberly loves for her husband to have a beard. Okay? Um, I think I've said enough about beard. The next I want to talk about is long hair on men. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. That's pretty clear. As we read this scripture for definite direction, the first really apparent question is, how long is long? I've heard that question all of my life. Okay? Some may say if it is down on the shirt collar, when this was written, they wore robes. They didn't wear shirt collars. Okay? And if, and if the shirt collar is the standard of measurement, I have no neck. <laughs> so my hair would be up about the middle of the back of my head. <laughs> now, I can have an opinion that a shirt collar is a good standard of measurement, but I don't have a scriptural mandate that backs my opinion. On that. This is one of those matters that one, and I'm, I chose this to address because this sets a precedent for the other things we're going to talk about. This is one of those matters that one has to consider other scriptural principles in maintaining a scriptural position. Everything must be scriptural. A scriptural position in this matter. The first thing that comes to mind is scripture position on men being men and women being women. We are not to look the same. There is to be a definite 360 degree radius around that man that defines that man as a man. If he looks like a woman from the back, we have a problem. Let me just go ahead and add this. If he walks like a woman, we have a problem. 
A man should walk like a man. Okay? Throughout Scripture, God makes distinctions in the sexes. That is all over Scripture. God makes distinctions between the... And I may say this again in a minute, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now. God created Adam for God. Okay? And he created Eve for Adam. God was lonely and needed someone to talk to. He created Adam. Then God recognized in Adam, this is the second chapter of Genesis. He recognizes in Adam, Adam's got the same problem God had. He had looked all over and he didn't see anything that looked like him. And so God put him to sleep and out of man he took a bone and he made woman. God made Adam for himself. He made Eve for the man. God kept a distinct separation between what a man was to be and what a woman was to be. Throughout Scripture, God makes those distinctions. Common sense logic. What does the devil do? In the 60s, they started coming out with the unisex garments. Unisex colognes. Unisex hairstyles. There were even brands that came out. I remember walking through the market halls in Dallas and there were, there were signs in the windows. Unisex apparel. Unisex cologne. Unisex whatever. You know, Letting them know that, hey, here's products you can put in your store that a man or a woman could buy. God has, distinct, has a distinct order. God has orders, so why in the middle of the 20th century does the unisex movement become so popular? The enemy, the devil himself, is trying to change God's order. Remember the scripture in Revelation, and I'll probably say this again in a minute, where the devil knows he hath but a short time? That started in the 20th century when he began to distort everything that had been of family value, gender-specific value. The next thing I want to talk to you about is women's hair. And I know some of you are waiting for me to get there. And some of you have been waiting and saying, okay, I want to see what he's going to say. 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. Can you say that? It is a glory to her. I know exactly because I've heard my wife say it. Oh, this mess. Got to wash it. It takes forever to dry. And it's, I understand. I understand. The long hair can be an issue. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering okay okay the question comes up again how long is long my mom's hair never grew to be longer than her shoulders mom never cut her hair after her and dad received the Holy Ghost and um, and I think mom was like 17 
when she got the Holy Ghost. Mom, mom never cut her hair after that. But mom's hair never grew past her shoulders. When Donna and I married, her hair, Donna's hair, was down almost to the back of her knees. Now it's about to her waist, but she has never cut her hair. Um, hair thinning, you women know about that too, not just us men, but hair thinning and then it just breaking off, those things happen. But it's not because she's cut it. But let's, let's look at verse 15 in conjunction with verse 14 that I read a few minutes ago. 1 Corinthians 11, we'll read 14 and 15. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Again, a distinction in the sexes is evident here. But there is more going on here than men having short hair and women having long hair. Okay? And this, this, these 16 verses has become, has, has become a, a rock bed for how long a woman's hair should be. And, 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 but there's more going on here than just that. In order to find out what the Apostle Paul is really talking about here, let's read the verses prior. In a matter of this importance, it is imperative that we understand the context to which Paul is writing. This is going to be a lengthy reading, and we will wade our way through it. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. That is not the time. Is it really 752? Y'all promise to come back next Wednesday night. <laughs> Look, I've got way too much information here. I've got, I don't want to be misunderstood here. So I don't want to fly through it. Um, oh, I can't believe the time just. Okay, let me. I, oh, Jesus, what should I do? No, yeah, read it to you. I got so much information, I'm afraid I couldn't just read it to you. All right, let's just let's just try. Just just for a few minutes and um No, I'm not gonna do it. I've got it's it's too important a topic. And I know some of you are thinking that I'm going to take a position on long hair. Some of you thinking I'm, not, I'm going to take a, an ultimate position that it doesn't matter. I, I, I know there are varied opinions in here. It's way too important for me to just address lightly. I want you to understand. And when I started this holiness series, I wanted you to understand what holiness really was. 
it, yes, it had something to do with the outside, but it has more to do with what's inside. And what's inside has to become reflected on the outside. But it cannot happen on the outside the right way until it's happened on the inside the right way. And for me to just dive into the rest of this and just read through it real rapidly, all of a sudden I'm going to become part of legalism one way or the other. And I don't want to be someone to have the opinion that I'm trying to tell you how you've got to live. I'm telling you what the Word of God says, and I'm going to leave it up to you to make the difference. So, with your permission, and if you will come back, <laughs> I will start next Wednesday night on women's hair. And that should be a very important uh, conversation. I promise you, I've got enough to say about women's hair that will take the full 45 minutes because there is more to women's hair. There's more to 1 Corinthians 11 than just hair. Way more. In fact, I will say this, you will hear it next Wednesday night. Hair becomes a byproduct of what verses 1 through 16 are all about. It's not about hair. It's about something else. And the hair becomes the byproduct. Is that okay with you? I mean, I just don't have time to do it and do it. Thank you for being here tonight. Why don't we stand together? I promise you, regardless of your position on women's hair, you're going to love next Wednesday night's Bible study. And uh, I just promise you, you will. Some of you will get some rich things out of it. Some of you will say, that's stuff I've believed all along. Some of you are going to, 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 to walk out and say, hmm, that gives me something to think about. Um, but you're going to enjoy it next Wednesday night. Father, I just give you thanks. You're a great God. And you know exactly what we need at all times. And we trust you with that. So I ask you to, to help us as we wade our way through these things. and These things that are important to you. And as a pastor, I don't want to take them lightly. And I don't want to be flippant. And I don't want to express my opinion, but I want to speak what you would have for your church. So I ask that you would help each of us. May we all be interested enough that we will all return next Wednesday night to hear what I feel that you have given to me. I ask you to bless us each and every one. Bless our services this weekend. May there be a great anointing in the house our precious people in the Ukraine. We can't dismiss tonight without praying for, for Ukraine again. For those that are huddled in bomb shelters, those that are in basements, the peace of God surround them, the peace of God to be near them, the peace of God to watch over them. Oh, just, just let a tangible presence of your peace just slip into where they are right now. 
May the strength of the Holy Ghost undergird each and every one. May the angels of the Most High God act as shields about them. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Now take us from this place and bring us back again at your appointed time. And we'll give you the praise and the thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.